but I hope that you remember this and cringe when you're older and it can be fodder for your therapy later. <laughs> that's how it works for the rest of us. Speaking of childhood trauma, that's where we begin. Because ever since I've been a child, I've always had somewhat of a similar nightmare. Doesn't matter how old I am, and in fact, I had that nightmare last night. It started when I was a child running away from a werewolf who was chasing me down my street. Last night, I was trapped in the seminary that I went to and for some reason couldn't get out. That was scarier than the werewolf, let me tell you. The life of a perpetual seminarian would be a fate worse than hell. But anyway, this dream is all about freedom. Right? I feel in some way I am not free whatever circumstance or life or fear that I have is chasing me. And therefore, I am hemmed in somehow. Now, last night it was very poignant in that I was trapped inside the seminary building. And here's the thing. In every time I have this dream, it's not that the outside circumstances are the problem. It's that my legs don't work. For whatever reason, I try and run away. And my legs feel as if they are asleep and they just will not do what I ask them to do. And now that can be telling or we can just see it as a dream. Because if you look at my life, you can see that in fact, objectively, I am extremely free. I am an adult over the age of 18. The law says that I am free to do as I like. I am an American by birth. The Constitution preserves my freedoms. I am an able-bodied human with the dangerous tools of will, intellect, and imagination, as are all of you. All of these characteristics would paint a picture of a life of freedom. Yet on this day, we celebrate not our freedom, but our subjection. For Christ is our King. And I think this notion of freedom is held in tension with the idea of Christ as king and sovereign ruler. We fought an entire war over this subject with Britain, and we won. And we won to preserve this notion that we should be free from monarchy. Now, it's an interesting thing not to have grown up in a setting that makes sense of today's feast day. Obviously, the church has an idea that this image of Christ as king is important. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this holiday. But I am not sure that it makes sense to Americans. In our existence as a country, we have never known monarchs. And we like it that way. We have this aversion to kingship, monarchy, and absolute power. Because as a nation, we are old enough to remember Kings ruling badly, monarchs being tyrannical instead of benevolent. We remember the terrible and we set up our entire government to be in opposi opposition to the worst excesses of overgoverning that we remember. <laughs> However, in almost every other civilization that we know of going back 6,000 years, most have all had a central leader, akin to a king. Even though Moses never held the title of king, and Israel wouldn't have a king until Saul, Moses did exercise central authority over the people, as did all of the leaders of the people of Israel, 
until that time that Saul was actually anointed king. The Lord didn't want them to have a king, and he actually warned them against it. He set it up so that he himself would be king, and that Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of the rest would be the messengers, the intermediary between God and the people. But eventually, the Israelites decide that they want a king so that they can be like everyone else. It literally says that in the scriptures. Give us a king so we can be like those countries around us. Foolish. But the Lord gives them what they want. He gives them a king. He has Saul anointed. Saul ends as a murderous heretic, offering sacrifice as priest when he had no right to do so, trying to murder David constantly. So let's move on to a better king. David, the best king that Israel will ever boast of. A lecherous man who fathers an illegitimate child and then uses murder to cover his tracks. All of the rest of the kings of Israel would be worse than that. And they would completely lose the kingdom. Clearly, kingship has its problems. So why does the church want us to hold on to this idea of kingship when clearly history has shown us this is terrible and it always ends poorly? It's because we hold on to hope. Everyone always hopes that a new king will be different, better, innovative, and possibly revolutionary. However, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Now, there is a term, and while it is not specifically a theological term, I've only ever heard it used in a theological context. The word itself is exemplar, and it means the perfect example of something which everything else of that kind is oriented as its perfection. Meaning, we often speak as Christ the exemplar, the one perfect example of humanity towards which all are striving to emulate. He is the best example of a king that could ever exist. And the moment we hail him as such, as king, we automatically rank ourselves as his subjects, for there can only be one king. If we do not recognize Christ as our king, it may be because we have replaced him with ourselves on the throne of our hearts. We don't trust the Lord, perfect in his humanity and perfect in his divinity. But we don't trust his, this perfect man to be any better of a king or a queen than we would be. If you are like me, you want power, and yet you know that absolute power would be absolutely terrible. I know it would corrupt, but we don't have to worry if Christ is the king, for Christ never misuses his power. He never abuses it. As Americans, we are so worried about being taken advantage of by a monarch that we often let our current political leaders take advantage of us even more. But we're okay with it because we have checks and balances, so it doesn't matter. But when we actually allow our Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts, we know that he treats us with more love and mercy than we would even treat ourselves with. It's a painful reality to admit that someone else might do things better than we can. And yet... 
if we give the Lord power to rule over our lives, we find that we can let go of fear. We can let go of anxiety. We can choose in those perfect, poignant moments of strong faith, we can choose to let Jesus lead us, knowing that wherever he asks us to go is for our benefit, even if where he asks us to go might be uncomfortable or slightly even painful. If we trust that he is our beloved king, who loves us beyond our wildest imaginings, then we should trust that if he leads us to difficult times, he will see us through. Never forget that David, the broken king of Israel, is described as having a heart after the Lord's own. As such, David led the people of Israel into battle many times. He led them into battle as their king so he could provide peace for his people. The Lord does the same thing for us. If he leads us into spiritual battle, he does so knowing that our soul is the one to benefit. He leads us as king through those dark and difficult moments of our past or our present. And if we follow him and his will, he leads us to peace. As the saying goes, freedom isn't free and neither is peace. We have to be willing to let the Lord lead us into battle with those evil things in our lives or we are trapped in sin. The easiest way to reinstate the Lord as the king of my heart is simply to go to confession. To be reminded that our king leads from the front, though, we merely have to look at the cross, for this is the symbol of our king. It's our victorious banner, not a banner of shame. He died as a criminal, naked, and looked on in shame by others. We have three different accounts of him being mocked in the gospel today alone. He first allows himself to be subject to the fight to show the depth of love he has for us, to show that he is different, that he is not swayed by emotion or even the threat of death as every other king before and after him would be. He is not subject to retribution or vengeance, even though he alone has the right. We could look at our Savior in the moment of the gospel and justify weak action, saying that anyone else would have responded the same way. And yet we look at the gospel today, knowing that in this gospel, Jesus is moments away from death. He is in constant agony. He is unable to breathe correctly. And with his last moments of earthly life, he offers pardon and forgiveness to St. Dismas, the good thief. Isn't it interesting, though, in the gospel parable that the Lord tells of judgment with the sheep and the goats, after having judged the sheep well, he says, Enter into your father's rest. He welcomes them to heaven. And then he immediately turns to the ghosts, goats and casts them into hell for not doing the father's will. That is justice. And yet our king acts differently. For in this moment of the gospel, the parable of the sheep and the goats is given actual flesh. 
And Jesus ends the parable differently. He tells Dismas, yes, absolutely, on this day you will be in heaven. And he canonizes our first saint. And he could have easily turned to the other thief who was reviling him and said, this day you will suffer when I come into glory. That would be kingly justice. That would be the earthly definition of justice. And that is what that thief deserves. And yet he shows himself better than any form of human justice. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The Lord keeps his mouth shut. He doesn't offer judgment. And in his silence, we see, for the, we see that the option for the other thief to repent still exists. Even in those last moments, the Lord does not say he will go to hell, but his silence offers him the chance for a momentary conversion at the last moments of life. Our Lord always leaves us with hope. We have six days until Advent starts, and Advent is supposed to be a mini Lent, but instead of sacrificing and giving something up as you do in Lent, you are supposed to add a different form of prayer to your life that you don't already do in Advent. So as we prepare, as we wait in hope, I suggest looking back on the Gospels, reflecting on how a perfect king or queen would act in those situations, and then read the accounts of Jesus in the Gospel and imagine him acting in all of these stories as a king instead of a rabbi. Allow him to be the king that sits on the throne of your heart and treat everyone with mercy instead of justice. Instead of treating people how they deserve to be treated, treat them as a benevolent, merciful king or queen given by the example of Christ the king. And then go and do likewise.